0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. And that's why I wanted to start off as we're talking about marriage and future marriages. I want to know how many of you who are single, can I get a shout out for all the singles here? Wow, that's a loud chorus of singles, all right? (laughs) To you who are single... Can I ask you, how many of you are open to arrange marriages? Okay, all right. I, I, uh, wow, I, the tough, tough crowd. I know, I know, I know who I'm going to be talking to today, all right? Now, uh, just in case, just in case, that some of us might not know what the phrase arranged marriage, marriage means, I'm simply asking you, are you willing to allow your parents to choose your future spouse? Okay, so once again, I'm beginning to understand this crowd here. Like, it's my life, leave me alone, don't do anything, right? Some of you have been on the other side where they have arranged some people and you're about to throw up afterwards. Like, oh my God, I'm never going to allow them to choose a partner for me. Now, I also know that we have some married families here. I don't know how many, but can I I get a shout out for any of the married couples here? All all right, praise the Lord. I'm sure it's louder in online. But to you, I might ask this question. If you had to do it all over again, and with what you know now about your spouse, would you end up marrying the same person? Quiet, all right. So, because it's a lose lose question, you say yes. I, I, no, you say no, I will not marry that person, you're gonna die. And then, if you say yes, you might be like, yes, reluctant, yes. But, 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 think about this for a moment there's not a single person in this world that gets into a relationship and leads to marriage that wants a divorce, or someone who starts a relationship and then gets married and wants a miserable married life. Not a single person in this world. Everybody has good intentions to find somebody, to fall in love, to be in a relationship, then they get married, and from there, to have a great marriage, to great family, and die somehow within the same vicinity, or I guess the age bracket before you die, and then whatever. So think about this for a moment. If none of us, that's our intent from the beginning, then why is it that when we look in this world, there's so much chaos when it comes to marriages and to relationships? It's kind of interesting to see how many people actually are open to arranged marriages, especially if they trust their parents. One culture, as many of you probably know, uh, there's a high percentage of arranged marriages. It's from countries from India, Pakistan, even in the Middle East. There's a high percentage of people who get married through arranged marriages. Um, The uh, IPSOS, which is a global research firm, they did a survey and they were asking Indians, just young Indians from the age of 18 through 25, they were asking these singles that would they rather find their own spouse or would they rather allow their parents to find a spouse for them? Do you know the percentage of these young Indians who said they would want their parents to find a suitable partner for them? That number is at 74%. Some statistics actually go as far as to say it's 85% of all young Indians are wanting their parents to find. Their suitable par- partner, so I just started digging up some videos and I wanted to show you this video, it will give you a glimpse into the Indian culture. Do we have anyone from India? Come on, can, anybody? Okay, well, we need to reach out to that nation because they're gonna take over the world soon, all right? Um, they're taking over the IT department, anyway. So, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant people. This video is going to give us a glimpse of the Indian culture and about arranged marriages and I want you to just watch this because there's a trend that's going on now there's companies that are starting for matchmaking as many of you know that there are here in Asia as well in China in Korea even here in Hong Kong and Taiwan and many of these other countries there's a lot of matchmaking companies that have started trying to find that perfect match. But I want you to watch this video because it's going to give you uh, just an overview of this arranged marriage. They're interviewing different people. And then there's this one couple that kind of shares a philosophy of the Indian mindset of why 74% of the young people from 18 to 25 are open to their parents in an arranged marriage. So let's watch this together. Wow. Wow. that's a pretty extravagant wedding. But it's more than a wedding. In fact, my wife and I, we always say that some of us spend so much time and money on one day rather than focusing on the rest of your life. Because that's what's going to happen. It takes a lot of hard work to have a good marriage. I think for many of us, to think that someone can actually choose somebody for us that we will spend the rest of our lives together it's a pretty scary thing but surprisingly as you heard I think that's a little bit of older statistics but marriages that are arranged they end up staying longer together than those that are not arranged in fact the surveys that we looked at the statistics the divorce rates are only at 6.3% compared to over 50 some percent in the West or even here in Hong Kong uh, for whatever that number is. I think some people attribute these statistics uh, due to the difference in the worldview of a person. And let me explain a little bit about this because I think many of us are from the East. We're from here in this area, in this region. Some of us are from the West, whether it's the UK, Australia, even the United States. And I think it's really important to know the difference because it has once been said, famously said, that relationships in the West start off in a boil and comes down to just warm water. In the East, it starts off in a little simmer and then it goes to a boil. Now, what's the difference? Why is this? It's because in the West, it's all about finding and falling in love. But in the East, it's about learning how to love. Can we just say that? Turn to somebody next to you and say, in the West, it's about finding love. In the East, it's about learning to love. Therefore, therefore, that's why the Western view is this. Marry the woman Marry the woman you love. That's the Western view. Marry the woman you love. In the Eastern view, it says this. Love the woman you marry. This is the difference that I see oftentimes in the East and West. But my question is, can we mix those two things together? In fact, I hope that you do marry the person you love. But then as you know, marriage, or you don't know, but some of us know, (laughs) some of us know that marriage is hard. That's why you got to learn how to love the person that you (laughs) married. That's why I love what Tim Keller said in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. That's a really good book. If you ever want to read a book on a theological understanding of marriage, the purpose of marriage, And many of you probably heard this before, but listen to what it says. The reason that marriage is so painful, but yet wonderful, is because it is a reflection of the gospel. I want you to just let let that marinate in your mind for a moment. The reason that marriage is so painful, and yet wonderful, is because it's a reflection of the gospel. How? Because when you think about the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. That's why when you have a marriage that's based on the gospel, It's a reflection of the gospel that you married an imperfect person with a lot of weaknesses, a lot of flaws, a lot of messiness and ugliness in their lives, but yet you can still love them, forgive them, be patient with them, be kind to them. When everything inside of you says no, that transforms you into more of the likeness of Jesus Christ. Because once again, that's what the gospel is. You and I messed up We had all these issues and we still do. We continue to disobey. We continue to live a rebellious life. But yet God in the midst of that still loves us. Is patient with us. He forgives us. He receives us. He accepts us. That's why when you have a marriage that reflects the gospel, that you become more like Jesus, that's when it becomes a powerful thing as we read here. It it is one of the most painful but yet one of the most wonderful things you will ever experience in your lifetime. I think with our church demographics, we have a lot of singles who want to get married. I hope. Amen. And then we have some young families who just recently got married. And then we have some young families who are about to have a baby or already have kids and young kids. And I think when I think about our demographics, I realize there's some of you in this room who have never been in a relationship. I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hand, all right? So don't worry, don't worry. Some of you have never been in a relationship for various reasons, whether you just made a promise that you're not going to date or do whatever or you just can't find anybody. But some of you have never been in a relationship. There are some of us in this room who have been in previous relationships, and I'm going to put that with the S, relationships, and you have been hurt And now it has formed this negative view about relationships or even about the opposite gender. Some of us right now, we are getting older and the thought of the prospects of finding somebody is getting thinner and uh, smaller and it's decreasing by every month and every birthday that passes by. (laughs) We also have some people in our church who are in a marriage that might be struggling. Struggling. Not only because you're constantly getting into arguments, but there's different challenges of raising a child. So this whole topic of relationships and marriage is so important. Because what God has to say is important. Because he's the one who instituted marriage, not us. And I think it's good and healthy for society to have good families for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So... Here's the one thing that I want you to think about. I'm going to ask you to actually say it to the person next to you. It's simply this. Can we show it? <laughs> Our heart's affection must be led by God's direction. Will you turn to somebody and let them know? Mm. Wow, you guys are saying it so well, like with some conviction. It seems like your heart is open for any, any affection. You're like, I'm ready. I am ready this morning. Let me kind of give us a little bit of a background as we look into the story of Isaac and Rebecca, because I think context is a little bit important of what's happening in this story and will make more sense. As many of you know, God promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. And as you know, to be a father of many nations, you have to have children. But if you know the story about Abraham, and also about Sarah, you will notice that as they were promised that they were going to have many offsprings, that they tried to have a baby for many, many years, and they could not. It was only at an old age, even when Sarah was laughing, because she says, it's impossible. In their lack of faith, God gave a miracle baby to Abraham and to Sarah. And the baby, his name is Isaac. Now, with Abraham and Sarah... Uh, ended up having Isaac, this miracle baby, you'll notice that Sarah then passes away, the mother. She passes away. And then Abraham, in his old age, he's also coming to the realization, I'm going to pass away soon. And therefore Isaac, my son, who's going to carry my name, he's not married yet. He needs to find somebody and start having children so that we can multiply and be fruitful in that way. And so that is why he decides at this moment to then find a suitable partner for Isaac. Now, I'm going to talk here. Normally, I kind of have two points and that's it. But this is a story. It's a narrative. And I want to kind of read the story and pause at different points to highlight different principles that we see in this story about Isaac and Rebekah. So I'm going to talk about four traits that I see in this passage In fact, it could have been a lot more, but I try to shrink it down just to four key essential things when it comes to knowing when somebody is the right person to marry or to establish a healthy relationship. Also, for those of us who are married, you might be like, okay, time to doze off because he's speaking to all the singles. No, these principles that we use to actually find somebody are the same principles you have to continue in your marriage relationship to make it healthy and to grow. So let me talk about these four things, uh, four traits that we see as we're talking about our heart's affection and how that is important as we are led by God's direction, that God is going to lead us and guide us along the way. Here's the first thing. It's the involvement of others. That's the first thing, that there is an involvement of other people. Let's go ahead and read Uh, starting from verse 1 all the way through verse 9. We're going to read these verses together. And once again, if you don't have a Bible, you can either kind of listen or you can read on with somebody next to you. If they're kind of hogging it, say, can I share? You know, And hopefully they'll share with you. And those of you who are part of our church, share. All right? Okay, so here we go. Let me go ahead and uh, just read uh, Genesis chapter 20. (coughs) Excuse me for a second. You guys got to pray for me. I don't know. I I I somehow lost my voice, uh, or I'm losing my voice. So, uh, Genesis chapter 24. I I don't know. I think I said uh, 23, but if you could turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. me get some more. Okay, let's read it. It says this. Now Abraham was old, well-advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heavens and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac, But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him, uh, to him concerning this matter. Let me just pause and talk about these nine verses and why this involvement of others is very important as we think about relationships. You will notice that Abraham calls upon his servant. His servant is uh, Eliezer. And Eliezer, uh, who has been with Abraham for such a long time and trusted, he then, Abraham tells Eliezer, go and find a suitable part or partner or a marriage person, a future wife for my son Isaac. Now, Abraham gave specific instructions about searching for the right person. He mentions that the woman cannot be a Canaanite. And let me make sure that we understand it's not that God was against mixed marriages. This is where sometimes people use scripture for their own self-centered and I would say even evil purposes. And so we need to try to understand the heart behind what was written. The reason why Abraham said to Eliezer, do not find a Canaanite woman was not because it was racism or discrimination but in fact it was more of an issue of worship. It was a worship issue because the Canaanites were against God and they were warned, the Israelites were warned many, many times that you're gonna be tempted by the Canaanites to worship other gods and turn away from me. Therefore, as you go into this land, do not worship these other gods or your hearts will turn from me. That's what God is saying look look at this one verse and maybe this will help you. In First Kings chapter 11, verse 2 to 4, it says this, The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them, being all these people from all these different parts of the land, because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives, a royal birth, and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. That's important. That they did turn his heart from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Now the same idea carries over to the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinthians, or Corinth, he simply said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, this is very important. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but let me just be clear. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is important that you marry somebody else who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it's not a discrimination But once again, it's a worship issue. And if you don't believe me, talk to so many people in this world who have married not another follower, but they just said, you know what? I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to live the way I'm going to live. And many of them have struggled in their life. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no couple that in that situation have ever been in a relationship or marriage that's worked. Or those people that were not a believer that became a believer later on. But I'm telling you, if your heart's desire is more set on this person and how they look and whatever they may be, rather than are they a follower of Jesus Christ, you're setting yourself up for disaster. And let me explain why. It's like building a house with two separate blueprints. When a door should be right here on this person's blueprint, the door should be over there. So when you're trying to build a house on two separate blueprints, it's not going to be a very firm foundation. But the more similar the foundation, then that's where you realize the easier it is. It doesn't mean it's going to be an easy marriage. The easier it will be to be able to understand when it comes to values, decision-making, and other things that are involved. And I see this time and time again. That's why I think, I mean, I know some of you are like dreading it, but I think one of the best places to find somebody is right here. They're in your life group. Or, or, well, not not this summer. (laughs) See, this... I'm speaking to a younger generation here, all right? Not this summer, but in the life groups throughout the regular, okay? My goodness, come on, Jesus, come on. It's important. That's why it's important that you involve other people. In fact, Abraham could have just said, hey, you, I want you to marry this person. But he involved Eleazar, as well as Eleazar, knowing that this is important to the promise that God gave to Abraham. There were people who were invested and people who were trusted that were involved. Can I ask you, do you have those types of people in your life? So many people want to just do this by themselves. And this is where I realize it's, it's a false sense of... Um, you have this pride thinking that I got this figured out, but you don't, you really don't. I I think back to my early years before I got married and I thought I got it all figured out and I realized I did not at that time. Why? Even now I still haven't figured it out. So this is the problem is that we all have blind spots. There are things that you do not see, but other people see that you don't see. This is the reason why when you involve other people, it helps you to see this relationship and that other person for what it really is. That's why they always say love is what? Blind. You've heard of that phrase before, and it's so true, is that oftentimes when you're in love and all the hormones are being released in your mind, you see that person as like this wonderful hero on this, he's like a knight on a white horse galloping with his long hair in the wind. I mean, it just happens because it it blinds us because the serotonin and the the endorphins are being released every single time we've had this good feel. So I want to just encourage us as we see in here that it's not just the individual decision. It wasn't just Isaac's decision, but there were other people involved because they loved him and there was a relationship. Let me also just say this because I need to be clear on this. In our church, and I'll say this publicly, we will never tell you who to date and who not to date, who to marry and who not to marry. Put that on the record. <laughs> now if someone comes up to me and say, Pastor said there's this person that I like, I'm not really sure. And they want to get my opinion. If I know that other person, I'll say, well, this person is still struggling through with different things. Maybe you should might consider, maybe just praying through it a little bit more. But ultimately it's your decision. But the problem is sometimes people hear that and they think that, oh, Pastor says that I cannot pursue this person. I go, are you crazy? That's why sometimes I wish there was a, I want, want, if we ever build a church, I want to have a counseling room where it's a one-way mirror and there's cameras all over the place recording everything that we say. Just in case, because some of our memories get old and my memory is getting old, right? Just in case, we could play it back. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You see your eyes go, yeah, I believe it, yeah. <laughs> but that's not what we said. But that's what you perceive. So I want to make sure we're clear. No leader and no pastor with any authority over you in this church will ever tell you who to date, who not to date, who to marry, and who not to marry. That is a decision you need to make. I don't want to be, don't be going up to heaven and going like, oh. Pastor Seth told me to marry her. Why? Do, do you think I'm that stupid? Do I want to be in that position? That you guys get married and you hate one another? Yes, Pastor Seth. And that's what you unite together with? I got to be stupid. I don't want any of that. That's your decision. Whatever you make. We'll try to support you as best as we can. I don't know if I can support a relationship with a pre-Christian because that goes against Scripture. I might guide you, direct you to Scripture. Do you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 6? I don't know. Look it up. I might guide you, but once again, we will not tell you, but involve other people. For those of you who are married, can I just say this? I'm going I'm to keep on addressing the married couples in our church. Let me just say this to you. The question is this. Are you involving other people? with some of your marital problems? Or are you trying to fight this on your own? I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to succeed. There are some things where you need other people to help you and to pray for you. Some of the stuff that you're going through in your marriage right now can be a spiritual warfare that you need people, you need prayer coverage. So are you involving other people, even in your marriage, and the problems with your children? The second thing that we notice here, so once again, our heart's affection must be led by God's door. God has to lead us. And as he leads us with people that he places in our lives. The second thing is this, not only involvement of others, there's intercession for discernment. Intercession for discernment. Let's go ahead and read verse 10 through 14. This is what it says. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice uh, gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the the city of Nahar. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels let her be the one whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac by this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master oh man the story's getting good let me just say Eliezer you're the man because this guy's smart because he's trying to find a suitable wife for Isaac, his master's son. Where does he go? He's the man. He goes to the place where there are a lot of women. And he goes at a time when there's a maximum number of women. That's why I say he's the man. Smart God, You need friends like this. Some of you are trying to find women in axe-throwing contests. Not every woman likes us. Some do. Some do. But not all. I realize for some of us, we just don't have a context to meet other people. But here's the servant of Abraham and he goes to the well where there are all women at the evening when more women are there. So he will get the maximum possibility. Praise the Lord. This guy's smart. So while he's doing his part, he's doing his part. Can I get a good amen to that? He's doing his part. Some people are like, oh, there's no one. But you're not doing anything. But at least he's doing his part. While he was doing his part, he knew that it ultimately had to be God who would direct him. Therefore, in verse 12 uh, 12 through 14, as we read, he prays to God for direction and revelation. He trusted God to give him a specific leading to a person cuz he's doing proactively his part to go to a place where there's a lot of women but he's praying interceding for God's discernment who is this person lord give me a sign now let me just say this we should not trust in signs some of us cuz pretty much you know what that is that could be superstitious lord if she looks my way that i know she's the one what if she what if she just wanted to turn her head If she contacts me after 10, then I know she's the one. What if you are in charge of birthdays along with her and she wants to know if you got a cake? See, the problem with so many of us with signs is that we use that in a superstitious way and to, instead of seeking God, you're seeking for something that you can have. Rather than trusting in faith, you're trusting in a sign. That's why I tell you signs are not one of the best, it's not the best way to really know if something God is doing. But God can, in his sovereignty, use some signs. If she is constantly blue-ticking you, if she constantly says no to you, you can say it like, Pastor Sessa, don't believe in signs. This is not a sign, okay? (laughs) But can I just tell you, she might not be interested. You tried once, three times, and it's still not working. And each each time you you, you stepped it up, first it was street food, then you brought it into a restaurant, Cafe de Corral. I don't know (laughs) why. And then you're like, that's not good enough. You bump it up to another place. And she's still like, yeah. And she goes, no, it's okay. I'm fasting because I need to hear from the Lord. That that probably means no. But who knows? We have some women who love to play hard to get because they think it's fun. (laughs) Man, I'm going to offend a lot of people today. After this, (laughs) after this next week, sign up for a life Code. sign up for a Sunday celebration. Five hours passed, only two people sign up. But anyway, (laughs) listen, it goes both ways. I think some of you ladies can I just be just honest with you? I think some of you ladies always give off wrong signals. Just, just understand us guys, we have a little bit lower IQ. Just, just accept that. Just accept that. That we need things, we need things bluntly and clearly. We need like a two by four, bam, hitting our head. And we're like, oh, she does not like me. If you're not interested and they keep on pursuing you, then you could, and I'll talk about it later, what is your intention? And just be honest and say, I have no interest in that way. You're just a brother in Christ. But some of us, not us, but some of you ladies. This is when you realize you've been preaching too long. Always talking about us. But anyway, you ladies. A lot of times, you like the fact that someone likes you, even though you know that you will never be interested in this person. Because it gives you a little boost in your, it's kind of like the COVID jab, jab, just that, yeah. It gives you more kind of sense of like, oh, like, I value, I have worth. But you see, in, in the Christian circle, in the church, it doesn't help relationships in way of purity, in the way of just being able to interact. That's why I think honesty is the best way just to be able to say hey I'm not really interested And brothers can I just encourage you if, if a woman continues to say no it's not because she she'll get it one day she'll figure it out that she loves me no she, she, she might really men she might not like you drop it if she does later on turn around trust me she'll give you every single indication <laughs> She will do a lot of things. And that's a whole different sermon topic we could talk about. Signs. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 3. You you know this verse, verse 5 through 6. In the New Living Translation, read the yellow section with me. It says this Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, seek his will. In all you do, and he will show you which path to take. In fact, I really like the Amplified version of this verse because there's some key phrases and words in there. So, watch and read the yellow section. It says this Trust in and rely confidently on the Lord. Can I just ask us, when it comes to relationship and the prospect of am I ever going to get married or not? Do you have this confidence that's relying upon God that he is the? author of your love story, that he's working things out in your life first. He's working things out in that future husband that you might not even know or that future spouse that you don't even know, that he's working on that person as well and God in his sovereignty and his providence is going to bring you somehow in a context where you're going to be able to meet together and so that you can start this relationship. So with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. This is where so many of us we're so self-centered. It's all about us. We think we got to figure it out. We don't. In all your ways know and what? Come on. Acknowledge and recognize them and he will make your path straight and smooth removing obstacles that block your way. I'm telling you right now not because I'm trying to show you that there signs but when something is God's will There will always be different obstacles because of challenges that come in life and as well as Satan and some of the opposition. But when it's God's will, nothing can stop it. Can I get a good amen to that? Nothing can stop it. That God will clear out the path. He will make it so clear that this is what God wants you to do. To those of us who are married, can I just encourage us as we think about this intercession for discernment? How often do you pray for your spouse? How often do you pray for your children? I think it's really easy for, I know for myself to to take uh, my family, other people that I care about for granted and to be able to really pause and say, I'm gonna pray for them. Especially when your family member or your spouse or maybe your child is going through things that you can actually put that down and you pray for them. You lift them up in prayer. I'm wondering how many of you who are married are asking God for direction. It's not about are we supposed to be married or not. No, because you made a commitment. There's a covenant, but asking God for direction. What is our next steps, especially with the things that we're facing? So the first thing is what? Involvement of others. Come on, say it with me. Involvement, Involvement of others. The second thing is? Intercession. Intercession for discernment. And the third thing is this. Inquiry of the person. So, inquiring of who this person is. There's a long section here that I'm going to read for us quickly, and then hopefully you can pull out some of those points. I'm going to read all the way through verse 15 through 32. So, just try to follow along as best as you can. This is what it says. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor. Abraham's brother came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. Mm, Can I get a good amen, brothers? The word of God is truth right there. A maiden whom no man had known, she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord and she quickly let down her jar upon her head and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water from your, for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence. Oh, I, this is awesome. <laughs> right? He gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two braces for her arm weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his uh, faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. When the young woman ran and told her mother's household about things, Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the springs, and he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Now let's just stop here. Long section of the story. I hope you were following along. Because in verse 15, we see that God now reveals to Eliezer, the servant, almost instantaneously his prayer request. In verse 16, as I commented, we see that Rebekah was attractive in appearance. Now, let me just say this. If all you do, I'm talking to the brothers here, the men. If all you look at is external appearance, I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to later on be mistaken. In the same way, if there's no attraction, there's a problem as well. As I've always said, and we we hear this all the time, and this is a famous phrase, they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And so to a person that might be attractive to one person might not be to another person. And so it's important that you understand that God is not telling you to just marry somebody even though you don't like them that oftentimes God will use everything, your intellect, your emotions, your feelings, all that, your desires, and He will bring that person that not only are you attracted to, that to that person that you can love. In other translations, you will see that it says she was a virgin. There's there's a word there, virgin, which I want to be sure that I, I clarify on this. Because usually that word virgin is also translated as the word maiden. So it is also, once again, means a woman who is marriageable age to get married. But it's also referring to someone who has not been in sexual relationship with another person. That's why it says here, as we read, that there was not a man that she had known. The word known in the Hebrew is yada, which means to have sexual relations, to know them deeply, is ultimately to have that sexual relationship. Now, can I also say this? There are some of you in this room that are not married and you have been in sexual relationship with someone. And it's so easy because whether the church talks about it directly or indirectly, you feel like you're damaged goods. I'm here to tell you, no matter what mistake that you've made in your life, God still sees you as righteous because of Jesus Christ. Can I get a good amen to that? And that's why we're made holy and pure, not because of what we did or did not do, but because of Jesus Christ. And I know that there are some men who will not marry a woman who have been in previous relationship. And to you, I will say this. Yes, I understand your standard. Yes, I understand what you desire. But if that person is the person that God is bringing in your life, and that's the one thing that is killing you, then I will say to you, brothers, that you do not understand the gospel. Because you yourself, in many ways, have perverted yourself. The lust of the eyes and the things that you have done. That's why it just shows me that you don't understand the gospel message. Especially if some of us are in that situation. I'm sharing all this because you see here, Eliezer, he prayed and he says, God, If the first person that I ask to give me water gives me water and then also is willing to feed or give drink to the camels, then I know that this is the person. And that's exactly what happened. And you will notice something. This is what I'm saying. There's an inquiry of the person. It's kind of like check the integrity of who this person is. She wasn't just attractive in appearance. She wasn't just a beautiful person on the outside. She was a beautiful person on the inside. And this is important. Because what you notice is that Eliezer requested her, please give me water from the jar. And what does she do? She didn't have to give water, but she did. Not only did she give water to Eliezer, but I want you to note that he gave water to, how many camels? Do You guys remember what we read earlier? How many camels did he have? 10 camels. So you have to understand, these jars are not like huge. I mean, they're big enough, but as she's putting it in the trough, she probably had to go back, draw the water, come back, water them. I don't know how many times, but she had to probably do that several times. What is the point? The reason why he stared (laughs) in silence is he is amazed that here's this woman. Who were a stranger to ask for water and her kindness of her heart, she was willing to do that. And not only to him, but also to feed his or give drink to the camels, which required effort and time. Brothers, I'm telling you right now when you meet somebody who's consistent in their character to what they present on the outside, she's a keeper. In the same way, ladies, When you find a person who is consistent with who they are in public and also in private, and they have a servant's heart, I'm telling you right now, he might be a keeper. The reason why I say this is because when when I think about marriage, when I think about just many different couples, it is so easy, and I know that I'm guilty of this, it is so easy in the beginning to be on the hunt. And you go all out. It's three in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it is so easy to do a lot of good things because you're trying to win that person over. That's why I'm telling you right now, one-on-one relationships, even though that is needed and required to be able to make a decision, if this is a person, I'm going to spend the rest of my life, but it is not necessarily the best way to inquire of that person's character. Do they go off the life group? Because as you've heard that phrase before, I'm sure you've heard it. If that man does not love the bride of Christ, he's not going to be a good groom to you as a bride. Is he committed? Is he a servant? When no one asks them, they come early to say, is there anything I can do to help? because that's what they will do when you get married, because that's who they are. Once you start seeing some selfishness, you realize if they haven't addressed it in their character, it's going to carry over into the relationship. You can ask any married couple. All the issues that you do not address, it's going to carry over into your relationship, into your marriage. If you haven't dealt with some of your things of the past, it's going to carry into your relationship. If you haven't addressed some of the anger issues and some of the things that you felt in your heart, the bitterness, is going to enter into your relationship. That's why I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, watch out for people who have lack of forgiveness and bitterness issues in their hearts because that's exactly what they're going to do with you. That's why I'm always watching. And you know, when you counsel people, you listen to their stories, you realize, man, they have a hard time forgiving. They have a really hard time understanding how messed up they are. They're so self-righteous they're fair to say I'm going to tell you right now when you get into that relationship they're to, you, you make a mistake they're going to look at you with this disgust and contempt those things are not healthy for a relationship that's why you got to watch them in public in what they do how they do things how is their relationship and I this is a sensitive area but I'm going to say it anyway I, you might not come next week but I still love you but I'm going to say it anyway I always tell people watch and see if they have relationships with people of the same gender. There's always that guy who has all these girlfriends but not too many guy friends. There's that girl that has a lot of guy friends but lack of girlfriends. Now, I'm going I'm to try to temper this a little bit because maybe you grew up as a tomboy and you love sports but all the girls, they just love, I don't know, eating crackers and talking and doing whatever. I, sorry, I can't think of anything. I could, I could just imagine my wife were like, dumb, that was a dumb comment. I couldn't think of anything. I just spewed out whatever came to the top of my head. There's a lot of stuff you guys can do, but what I'm saying is this. There might be times in certain circumstances, it might not always be 100%. But I will say this, when that person doesn't have too many girlfriends and there's something wrong with her that none of the other girls want to be around. In the same way, if the guy always have all girlfriends and there's that safe zone and they're just kind of like whatever, then also possibly there might be other things going on inside that they can't build really good brotherhood in their relationship. And these are all character issues. Like I said, I'm not going to make this absolute, but this is from years of experience. This is my humble opinion that I've seen. That's why you got to look at how they relate to the same gender as well as the way they relate to other people from the opposite gender because the way they interact will show you who they are. Not when you're one-on-one. One-on-one, they they are the nicest people in the whole wide world. But it's who they are in public with other people. How do they treat their roommates? Watch that. If the roommates are like, oh my God, they never do the dishes. Hello? When you get married, unless you're really rich and you have like helpers do everything for you, they're not going to do the dishes. Because I didn't do the dishes. Until my wife, you know, she let me know, I'm going to do the dishes. But it took some time. Because I grew up, my mom doing everything. Yes, I'm a mama's boy. (laughs) I want to show you a picture of... uh, My wife and I. I, Some of you guys saw this picture before. I don't know if you can tell where she is. She's up all the way on the, can I? Okay, never mind. All the way up there with the glasses. That's her. Yeah, it's hard to tell. This is the the 90s, early 90s, all right? Late 80s, early 90s. 91, 92. And then uh, the young looking man right here, dapper right here, that's me. Yes. so uh, once again this is my wife here and this is me and we led life group together now i know where your minds are going oh my god last year my life group leader and co-leader oh my no don't go there don't go there let me explain why you shouldn't go there Because after we got together, after life group, that's the key word, after life group ended, a lot of these brothers who were younger than me that I was discipling, they got inspired. So they're like, dang, Seth. God placed you with the person you were going to marry. You didn't even know that. God is sovereign. You know, they use all the Christian, Christian needs. And guess what they started doing? They started praying. Lord, because some of them were leaders or were going to be leaders. Lord, please allow the person I'm going to marry be my co-leader. I mean, they were lifting up those kinds of prayers. And the way things worked out, there were not enough sisters so they got paired up with the brother. They're like, oh. And they're like, why, Lord, why, why? I'm showing this picture and I'm sharing this because when my wife and I were leading, I mean, there was nothing, in fact, I I told my story and my wife can corroborate on this, that in that first semester we were serving together, I was actually praying for another girl, another sister. So, I mean, you know, she was nice and everything, but I was already fixed on another sister that I was praying for. But as we were serving together, like everyone loved her. Like all these guys, I mean, some of these guys are all over the world now. Some of them, you know, we still try to keep in contact through Facebook and things. But some of them actually are in the ministry. It it really was like a family. And like, she was like the mom. And I was a goofy guy doing all this other stuff, (laughs) playing sports and, you know, all this other stuff. But anyway, it really became like a family. And I'm like, is this really who she is? So I began to inquire. So I began to ask, like in a very cool way, smooth way. Start asking her friends, because she had a lot of girlfriends, close girlfriends who were also leaders and part of our church uh, back then. And then i will be like, "Yeah, so like, so I would talk to like this other sister, like, so who are you friends with? You know?"
1: <laughs>
0: and they be like, "You know who my friends are?" I'm like, well, "I mean, who who are you close to?" And then they were like, "Well, this person and then Christina and so like." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is it about them that you're so close?" And then they'll start, you know, sharing some stuff. And then when it came to Christina, they'll be, "Yeah, she's really kind. She has a big heart. She's so generous." Blah blah blah. I'm like, "Oh," and so uh, the other girls, in, I, "I don't care." So can't yeah, tell me a little bit more, you know? <laughs> so I began to inquire. Of this person I wanted to see if what I saw in life group is consistent with what other people saw and every single person I talked to it was consistent so I realized this is who she is and this is the kind of person I want to marry and spend the rest of my life with very generous very kind compassionate woman because I need someone very compassionate because I'm gonna mess them up you know just being able to, just grace giving. And that's when I began to realize the more you see consistency in different contexts of their lives, the more you begin to get a glimpse of who they are in their character. This is what I want to encourage all of us with, to be people who will be a little bit more aware and inquiring. And that's exactly what Eliezer did. Now, Those of you who are married, the question, well, you you already made a decision. So now what? Well, I will say this. Keep on growing and learning how to serve one another. The things that attracted you to that person when you got married, continue to find those things and do those things. Once again, our heart's affection must be led by God's direction. And the last point I want to make as we close out here. So the first one was what? What? Involvement of others. The second one is intercession for discernment. The third thing is inquiry of the person to see if there's integrity and consistency of who they are. And the last one is the intention of the heart. Intention of the heart. Because time is going by, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But let me just try to summarize as best as I can. So pretty much what happens is that Eliezer, he comes in and he meets the family and he begins to share why he came, which is the intention, my purpose, why I'm here. And you will realize in verse 48 through 40, or excuse me, 42 to 48, quickly, if you just peruse through it, he summarizes to Bethuel and Laban everything that happened when he came, he brought the camels to, to the well, And then Rebecca responded by giving water, and so he's just explaining the story in that section. And then in verse forty-nine, you see that Eliezer is very clear in his intention, uh, intention for going to Rebecca's family, and he begins to share. Now, you have to think about Rebecca. Here's this young woman, attractive woman, which she could have probably married anybody. Now she is faced with one of the biggest decisions of her life. Not to say she was the only one who was going to make the decision, because once again, involving other people. Because you have to try to understand by her saying yes, what does that mean? It means this. She's going to have to leave her home. She is going to be with the family or never see her family again and start a new family with people she doesn't even know. In fact, Eliezer traveled almost 500 miles to get to this place. So they have to go on camelback, almost 500 miles to go back. So think about that. With a total stranger. That's a huge decision. And then marry a man that she's never met before. But the interesting part is the family knew that it was from God. Look at verse 50 through 51. It says, this thing will come from the Lord, has come from the Lord, and the Lord has spoken. They just knew that this was God leading them together. And as Ella let his intentions be known, now heres Rebecca responding and saying that she will marry and she will go. Look at verse 58. I love this. She was with her family, they called her in, and they asked her, "Will you go with this man?" And what does she say? "I will go." She's now letting her intentions be known to Eliezer and then ultimately to Isaac and to Abraham. The point I want to make is this. The one thing that you cannot forget is that love is a decision. Everyone say, it's a decision. Decision. Love is a decision that you make. It's not a feeling, even though feelings can come. When you decide to love, it is the decision that you make. It's the volition of the will. I love what C.S. Lewis said. once again, another good book if you want to read during the summer, it's called "The Four Loves." He has a huge section on friendship. If some of you are struggling with friendship, this is one book you want to read, because he talks a lot about what f- true friendship is. He talks about four loves, and he says this: "There is no safe investment. To love all to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations of love is hell. That's so powerful when you think about it. Because there is always a risk when you love people. You're going to get hurt. They're going to hurt you. They're going to do things that you do not like, but that's why it is a decision. And so if you are serious about somebody, Let the intentions of the heart be known and do it in a way that involves other people and then intercede, pray, say, God, is this the person that you want me to spend the rest of my life with? Let him lead you and guide you and then do the hard work of inquiring about who this person is because the worst part is we get married to this person, we realize that's not who I thought he or she was and we get hurt and that's why all you have to do is look at your parents and their relationship. To those of you who are married, let me just say this to you. Are you being intentional with your spouse and with your children? Because once again, the intention of your heart is not when you first start the relationship, but it's also a continual thing. Can I also share from the other side? I realize that the reason why there's always so much tension is because either both of them don't want to humble themselves or one of them don't want to humble themselves, because if both of them humble themselves, then that relationship can be repaired. So can I just encourage some of you, whether it's a marriage relationship, or maybe some of you who are in this situation, because you are in a relationship, and you're trying to think, is this a person for me? Is that when one party tries to confess and say sorry, then that now the ball is in your court to be able to make that decision, because it's so easy to say, you know what, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to do anything, that will continue to build walls. You're making a decision not to love. But to be able to make that decision, to be hurt again, even if that means at the expense of maybe some of the emotional things you have to go through. But that's the beauty on the other side of that hurt is a genuine love that reflects the gospel message. So once again, our heart's affection must be led by God's direction. I want to give us some quick next steps and I'm going to close out uh, with this one video that kind of communicates what I'm trying to communicate here the first thing that I want to encourage us especially no matter where you are whether you're you don't have a relationship right now you're looking for a relationship you are in a relationship you're married your marriage is not going well your marriage is going well wherever you are here's are some things to keep in mind the first step is this pray for your relationship wherever it is even if you don't have anybody right now just pray intercede Many of us, we, we don't believe in prayer. That's why we don't pray. Start praying for the relationship, for your future spouse. Pray for them. And as you begin to pray, God will change you. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Proactively work on becoming marriage material. Some of you are like, why doesn't anyone like me? Sometimes I want to like be really honest and say, you know why? Do you know what? Here's a list of all the reasons why. But that's that wouldn't be very pastoral. I know, bro. It's hard. I know. I know it's really hard. But maybe we could kind of work on some stuff together, man. And I know some of you are like, "Well, I'm growing," and but I still don't have anybody. Well, once again, then I would say you got to listen to the third step, which is patiently wait for God's leading. if you want you could just jump you know just jump at this relationship but guess what if it's not really what God wants and once again you're setting yourself I always tell people the second most important decision you'll make next to receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the person you'll marry and so often we jump into relationship after relationship and we're constantly not learning we're not aware of what's happening some of you have to stop because you're just not ready you're not mature enough just grow So you got to learn how to be patient. Those of you who are growing and those of you who are past that age and like, I want to get married. Let me just encourage you. Like you can't force it. Let me take that back. You can't force it. You can marry anyone you want to marry. But once again, to find the one that God has for you, you got to be patient and wait and trust in Him and His leading. The fourth thing is this. Partner up with an older mentor. You need a wingman. Some of you, when I see how you're going in, I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. But, but you could tell your kids, be careful. You're going to fall down. And then how are they going to learn, right? They're going to always be like, so you just got to let them fall. And then they get wiser. They go, oh, it didn't work. Yeah. So you need a wingman. Find an older mentor. Because guess what? That mentor might know that girl. And that mentor... Might be able to help the sister see the beauty of who you are. (laughs) They could be your advocate and vice versa, which means sisters, find an older mentor who will be able to kind of just talk with that guy. So, is there anyone you're interested in? No. But look at you, you have all these good traits, you know, and we have so many choices of sisters. And lastly, put God as the author of your marriage. Let Him write your story. Stop taking the pen from God and you writing what you want, but let God author the story. Because then you're going to be able to share it with so many people about the beauty of what God does. Because He loves marriages and He loves the definition of what true love is. Because He is the definition of love. I want to close out with this video And I don't know if some of you have seen it before, but it's a short film. Um, It's about four minutes or so long. I cut out some of the parts, but the thing that I want you to see is this. And let me kind of prep you up for this as you watch this. It's about a person who is actually going to get married. It's his wedding day. The ceremony is about to start. But then his future self comes into the screen. And so his future self is saying, don't do it. Because something happens. So, this guy now has a decision to make. Should he still go through this wedding knowing what's gonna happen? And so, once again, there are a lot of times where we have to make choices. And so, part of our heart's affection towards somebody has to be led by God's direction. And once you know that God is leading you, then you take that responsibility to say, Yes. This is your will, and I want to say yes to you. That's when you realize that all the things that you'll go through in the future, with your future marriage, some of you right now who are married, who are struggling, all the stuff that you're going to go through in life, you're going to look back and say, it's going to be worth it all. Because that was the person that God brought into your life. Let's watch this and we'll close out here. Let's stand together as we close. The reason why I say love is a a decision you make. It's not a feeling. It's because there's a lot of stuff that's going to come your way. And many of you are still young. You you don't fully understand it, but there's going to be a lot of difficulties you're going to face in your lifetime. People passing away, different challenges, a lot of hurt. But see, when you're in this covenant relationship, it's not just all about feelings, but you're saying, I'm going to choose you in spite of everything that might happen. And the reason why that video spoke to me, and I hope it spoke to you, is that if you knew everything that was going to happen to you, would you get married? Would you marry that person? I think for many of us, we might not. That's the thing. That's the journey where God brings different people your way and then you make a decision. This is the person in the midst of all these other choices. I'm going to choose this person. I don't know what's going to happen. They might die in a car accident. Something might happen, but I choose this person with what I know. And I'm making a decision because this is what God has led me in my intercession as I involve other people, as I inquire of their character, who they are, and I let my intentions be known. And then you can go through life because you made a decision together. Do you know why this story in Genesis chapter 24 is so powerful? It's a glimpse of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ chose us knowing that we we're going to sin, mess up, screw everything up, turn away from him, but he still chose us. And if you look into the book of Ephesians, it talks about how Christ is our bride group and the church is his bride. Christ died for the bride, the church, which is you and I, we make up the church. And if God so loved the world that he chose to love people like us, knowing that we're going to do all these things anyway, that is the epitome of the love that we want to aspire for. That is the unconditional, the Hebrew word hesed, this covenantal love that is not based on circumstances or how we feel, but it is a covenantal love, which is made when you stand in front of God and your friends and your family When you stand before that person that you believe that God has for you. To some of you who are married, you might have made that decision many years back and you have forgotten. Because you go through life with children and all the stresses of life. But what you have to remember is what that commitment means. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.